Father God, thank you so much for an opportunity to come together. And we appreciate your grace that we've come to the conclusion of this study. We appreciate you've helped us. You've opened our hearts. You've opened our minds. You've challenged us as well. I pray what I always pray, that that which is meant to be from the Scripture will find good ground in our heart. And that which is just opinion, God will not find the ground it needs, but the ground that produces fruit will be that which is of you and that which is of your purpose and your will for us. I bless tonight's teaching that it will be clear and concise at what we need to say. And I give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. And will everybody say amen? amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Revelation chapter 21. I believe it's 27 verses long. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things. Whew, that excites my heart. Does that excite your heart? I'm going to read it again. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me. I will show you the bride and the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of the heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, and twelve gates guarded, by twelve angels. And the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates, and there were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who taught with me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on the foundation stones and laid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. 
The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. I saw no temple in this city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter into the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those names who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Can you say amen to the reading of the Word? Let's jump right into it tonight. I'm excited to, like I said, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be two parts tonight. I'm not going to deal with the actual heavenly city, Jerusalem. I'm going to take the, uh, a two-part and deal with that next week because it's a little in-depth and I want to be fair to you. So let's just jump right in. Revelation 21, verse 5, because this is what I want to hold on tonight. Uh, and the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. I want to talk about the subject of chapter 21, about everything being new. This missed your notes, but I'll just say write it somewhere on the page. Uh, I, I think it'll be meaningful as we go somewhere. When, when he says it's new, new does not mean that God did it poorly the first time. Amen? He, did it, he even said of himself it was good. His whole creation, God said it was good. But new means altogether different. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, God is trying to make a better 2.0 earth because 1.0, he needed an upgrade. So the new heaven and the new earth is not an upgrade. It's just different because what God created, he created, but he does make it altogether different. So as we talk about that, uh, it, it bears the question of this. Why a new heaven and a new earth if God made it right the first time? Why do we need this new, altogether different earth if God, what He creates, is perfect? And if God even said of His own earth, it's good. Every day He created, He said, and He saw the end of the day and said, it's good. So even God Himself <laughs> kind of applauds His own self that I did a good work. And so the thinking tonight is to, to tell you why it has to be altogether different, and I hope it will inspire you to see how detailed God is. Chapter 21, verse 1 through 3. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea also was gone. And I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look... God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So here we, in these passages of the first three verses, we, we really get a what's new that's coming. The first new that's coming is there's a new heaven and the reason it's going to be called new is because God will no longer live there. That's why it's altogether different. 
It's different because all of the armies of heaven and God himself who dwells in the heavenlies and speaks from the heavenlies and judges from the heavenlies will no longer live there. So the heaven is new because it's just absent of God. God no longer dwells in the heavenlies. He's going to come to dwell on the earth. It's altogether new because the earth that we know is one where pain, sorrow, death, and sickness, and, the, and I put this because we're going to talk about it. It's very important. The ocean no longer reside. So if just one thing we could say about the earth being altogether different, it's just there's no more ocean. The sea is completely gone. So you can imagine how much land mass we're going to have if we get rid of, what do they think, uh, the ocean's two-thirds of the earth. So once the sea's gone, there's just going to be a lot of land mass, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. And then, this will be next week, there's going to be a new Jerusalem. So the three new things that are to come are the new heaven. It's absent without God. He dwells on the earth now. The new earth... There's no more sea, pain, sorrow, or suffering. It's altogether new. We've, we've never been there before except at the very beginning when God created Adam and Eve. And then the new Jerusalem, it's where humans and God live together. Like it'll be uh, not Jerusalem we know now, but a new one because God will actually habit, inhabit, inhabitate with his people, humans and God together. So let's, we're gonna, what we're going to do, let me just go back one. What we're going to do so we're going to take these two uh, first two points, a new heaven and new earth, and I just want to go through scriptures with you to open your mind on why God needs it to be altogether different and why he's coming out of the heavens to live on the earth. And so we're going to just take one of them at a time. So the first one we're going to look at is the new heaven. So let's just jump right into some scriptures to just understand what heaven is now if it's going to be new. Deuteronomy 26, now look down from your holy dwelling place, verse 15 of Deuteronomy 26, your holy dwelling place in heaven and bless your people and then give us a land. So I want you to see how distinctly uh, dichotomized this whole relationship is with God. I don't think it was intended to be this way. The intention seems to be in, in the Garden of Eden that God did dwell in heaven, but he would come down consistently. Uh, one version says he would come down the cool of the evening, lending itself to be. It was daily. Like God would leave heaven every day, come to the earth, and chat with Adam and Eve, and then go back up into heaven. So even though the Garden of Eden uh, was this utopia of God's creation, there was still this uh, distance between God and humans. God covered the distance with himself. He would come down and talk with them. And then once the sin happened, the distance was now so great man couldn't get to God. That's why the Tower of Babel, it's why Jesus had to be the mediator because there was this expanse between God and humans and they didn't really chat anymore. I, I put it in red to let you understand why the, the barrier is Deuteronomy says that, that heaven was God's holy dwelling place. And he would look down on his people, so it lends us to believe that the reason God is in heaven is he's so holy that if he came to earth, we would all die immediately. That, and that's hard for our brains to even fathom that 
you know, God could be so holy that we would drop dead in His presence because of the sin of, of humanity. But if you take that thought through the Old Testament, it does bear truth because uh, the high priest, if he went into the holiest of holies and he had any sin on him at all, he would just drop dead in the presence of God where the ark was kept. Uh, remember the story of Uzzah when King David is bringing it in and they're carrying it on his shoulders and Uzzah just in a good intention just reaches out to steady the ark. He drops dead. Uh, what it does teach us is that God is so holy that even the box that carried the articles connected to God killed people. And it wasn't because God was angry. It's just that's how holy he is which should make us appreciate what Jesus did for us. So this begins to establish that. Now look at what else happens from heaven. The, the Lord thundered from heaven, the voice of the Most High. Heaven, remember, it's going to be altogether different. That voice is not going to be in heaven anymore as a judge. That voice is going to be on the earth with his people. 1 Kings 8.30 May you hear the humble and earnest request from me and your people when we pray toward this place, and then they say this, I'm just trying to establish the thought, you hear us from heaven where you live. So the new heaven and the new earth that God is going to bring is that when he says it's a new heaven, what he's trying to get us to see is I, I will no longer live there. And the reason I no longer live there is my holiness has been appeased through the work of my son so that I can come down and commune with humans. It's why I said in the, uh, in the millennial kingdom, the Father doesn't come down to the millennial kingdom. If the heavenly Father, my opinion, came to the millennial kingdom with us as the Father God, all of us on the planet would die because we're not holy enough. So Jesus is the one mediating in the millennial kingdom. He's the one here for all those people that aren't born again and redeemed. But at the end, here we are in 21, he's going to come down and not just chat with us from heaven, but literally change his dwelling place. Hear from heaven, 1 Kings 8.32, and judge between your servants and punish the guilty. Again, heaven is that throne of God. It's the, it's the realm when God speaks. It's the realm he judges. So what is changing, this is interesting, the reason it's a new heaven is God will no longer have to judge Judgment has already been passed. Uh, the devil has been locked away and done. Everybody's in the lake of fire, done. All sin is eradicated. And so there needs to be no more judgment from the heavenly realm because God's moving his house. A few more scriptures. Psalm eleven four. But the Lord is in his holy temple. There it is again, the word holy. And he rules from the heaven and he examines every person on the earth. So the thing, again... It's changing. As God will no longer rule from the heaven to examine us, He's going to actually live with us, which is a strange thought that the God of all creation will be walking among us and living among us and dwelling among us. Jesus, interesting, in His baptism even teaches us that this Father is separate from earth. At His baptism, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. An interesting thought, the Father, even when, when moving upon the Son, Jesus, the Father himself did not even come down. He sent the Spirit to do the work for him. 
It was the spirit that mediated between the Father and the Son and the work. The Father didn't come down and do it. The Father stayed in His holy place, sent His Son as, a, as an act of mercy and grace. And then the way the Son communicated with the Father was via the Holy Spirit, and which is where we're going to go in the summer to kind of work that out of what that means. But I just want you to understand that the Father is so holy that He wouldn't even come down to resurrect His Son. He stayed in the heavenly realm. And, and he stayed in the heavenly realm. And Romans chapter 1 says it was the spirit of glory that raised him from the dead. So the Father has never come down since the sin of Adam and Eve. To our knowledge, the Father himself has never come down to planet earth. Again, because he's so holy, the moment his feet or however his being is, steps on the planet he created, every animal would die, every human would die, because that's the nature of his holiness. His holiness doesn't mean he's just a good dude that's never done wrong. His holiness, this is my take, his holiness is his energy. That sounds real new agey, I don't mean it that way. But his holiness is his energy. It's his power. That's why the Spirit is called the what Spirit? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is connected to power because God's holiness is His power. And if you touch the power without being holy, you die. No different than we would say if we were electricians. If you touch the power without insulation, it shocks you and could kill you. Well, grace and the blood of Jesus is the insulation to the power. Otherwise, we die without it. That's... Uh, the beauty of why the woman could reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment and get healed rather than drop dead. Because Jesus was the insulation of his power. Does that make sense? So, so she could reach out and grab him and healing came to her because he was the insulator of that. He was the grace. He was the mercy of, of the Father. And Matthew 6, Jesus' prayer tells us why the Father has to stay in heaven. We kind of just roll over it pretty quickly as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus, uh, the New, New Living Translation puts it this way. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, that's his dwelling place. Remember that dwelling place is holy. May your name be what? And your name be kept holy. In other words, Jesus tells us the reason we pray and the reason the Father doesn't come down here yet is because he's so holy. And so he just says, now Mark, make sure you remember when you talk to him, don't ever forget how holy he is. It's not that he's not here because he doesn't like you. He's there because he doesn't want to kill you. And I've become the insulator where you can have a relationship with him until he gets here because he's coming to the planet. Uh, the writer of Hebrews many believe it's Paul, says this about the holiness of God. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are what? Those who aren't holy won't even see the Lord. So that, that is a powerful thought that, that here, I don't have time to go there tonight, but if it's true that, that His holiness is His power, and that Jesus is the insulator of the power and also the giver of the power, then it would tell me that there's an aspect of the Holy Spirit that wants to work in my life 
in a, in a way that is, uh, gosh, it would blow our mind if we knew the power we really had. But I think the reason many of us don't live in the trueness of the power of the Holy Spirit is because sin grieves him so much that he can't give the fullness of his power to us because if he gave the fullness of his power to us while we're living a sinful life, it could do more damage than good. Even though God's still gracious, if that makes sense. I mean, it's like, I got Jesus, I can live any way I want to. You have to kind of rethink how that is. So that was just a thought of mine. Here's the final scripture, just to show you the holiness. Kings really, uh, 1 Kings 8, really just tells us the problem. The problem is humans don't even really believe God could live on the earth. And then they have this prophetic thing, will he really live on the earth? Like They can't even fathom that the God that created it could come live here because they realized how holy he was. The heavens can't even contain you. The temple that I built can't contain you, but he's going to come live here. So when we read in Revelations, I'm going to have a new heaven. What God is telling us is that everything that has kept me separate from you my holiness, my power, and sinfulness of humans and the curse of the earth. Everything that has kept the fatherhood from you uh, is now eradicated and my home can come down and I can commune with you and I can dwell with you. So here's my takeaway from those scriptures. It's a new heaven because God is holy and he can't dwell with humans. That's why it's called new. The old heaven, God had to live there. It was his house. The new heaven, God comes down because he's holy and he couldn't dwell with humans in the old one. It's new because all sin is done away with and judgment is now complete. There's no reason for God to thunder his voice from heaven and examine us. We've already been examined. The books have been opened. Our names have been counted. And so it's new because there's no more sin that the Father has to deal with. I'm not saying he won't sit on the throne anymore, but there's no reason for him to judge sin. It's over. It's done. And then finally, it's a new heaven because heaven will no longer be the home of God and his armies. It will be empty. Still be there, but it'll be altogether new. That, that's just going to be strange. I'm just trying to let that soak in. I've been trying to soak that in because it's just such a strange thought that m much of our Christian doctrine is we're going to go be with God, right? When you die, you go to heaven. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to float on clouds. We're going to have wings. We're going to play harps. And it's going to be really cool. And that is so far beyond what Scripture teaches. The only reason we go there right now is to just wait for Him to come back. And then we all come back with him. And we live with him eternally on the earth. So eternal life is going to be on the earth, not heaven. I mean, you get eternal life, but heaven, and here's the way I, I say that. When you think eternal life, don't think heaven versus hell. Because that's how most Christians think. Hey, you want eternal life, you're going to go to heaven. If you don't have eternal life, you're going to burn in hell. That's kind of the way doctrinally we teach it. The way you need to understand it is eternal life puts you in the place where God is. Eternal death puts you in the place where God isn't. So eternal life, if you die now, you're in heaven because that's where he's at. 
eternal life if you don't die and he comes back, well, then your eternal life is with him. So think this way, eternal life is wherever God is. And eternal death is totally separated from him and anything to do with him. Which is why the Bible would teach that the lake of fire is dark, it's torment, it's misery, it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, you'll, you'll want to get out but can't. I mean, it is a very, uh, you know, you talk about the lake of fire. It is just everything not God. And so I think the way we balance that out is we go, well, it's not God, but it's everything earth. I'll get to get drunk with my friends and we'll have parties and we'll... It's just a total misunderstanding of what hell is. There's not going to be rock and roll and partying in hell because it's a total absence of God. It's not more earth and more friends hanging out without God. It's everything not God. And so that's death and sickness and misery and torment and all the things that we would say. So when someone says, how could God send me to the lake of fire? It's not that he's sending you to the lake of fire as in he's happy about it. It's just that God can't let you in his presence because you're not holy. And so you can't be with God. It's an impossibility. Even if he let you come be with him as a sinner, you would drop dead and not even get to enjoy him anyway. You're dead either way. So it's not that it's not fair. Either way, you're dead. Whether he sends you to the lake of fire because you rejected him or in your rejection you try to come in with him and you die anyway because you rejected him because he's just too holy. If that makes sense, I hope it does. The new earth, let's, why, why, do, why do we have to have a new earth? If, if one through seven days were good, why do I need to have this new earth? And if he is new, what does this look like? What I'm going to share with you now, it may, it may trip your brain. I don't want you to think I'm going off in some weird land here. Uh, I'm going to try to give it to you scripturally, and then you can think about it. If you want to believe this, you can. If you don't, it doesn't bother me, but I try to... I try to tell you why I believe it and then give scriptures to back it up and then you can chew the meat and determine if it's something you believe. To understand a new earth, you just got to understand what earth is. To understand why it's new. Uh, one reason I'm excited to teach the book of Genesis, so many people have zero clue about it. Except God did it in seven days and that's about all they know versus evolution and that's about the end of the debate. No, God did it. It's not evolved. We're not monkeys. And end of the discussion. And so I, I hope, I can't spend a lot of time on this because this is going to be in the teachings of Genesis and we'll go real deep. But tonight, just going to shallow it up, throw you in the pool and let you swim. All right. So I want to talk to you about this may be different than you've ever heard it. I want to talk to you about the three creations of earth. The one we all know is pretty clear. Day one through seven. Seven literal days of creation. God made it and that's what we judge against evolution. Those seven literal days. My belief is that there were three creations of earth. And what God did through each of them is very significantly working the plan of redemption out. Here's the original earth creation, and I'm going to give you scripture. The original creation is God creates the heavens and the earth, and Lucifer was in charge of that earth. 
We'll dig this out in the teaching of the book of Genesis. But for tonight, God creates the heavens and the earth and Lucifer was in charge of it. How many of you know what happened to Lucifer? He rebelled. I mean, that's doctrine 101. Lucifer rebelled. I will take my throne above his throne. I will exalt myself above his stars and I will be God and I'll sit on that throne. God boots him out of heaven. When he boots him out of heaven... Uh, we have to ask the question, then what happened? Where did he go? Is he just floating around in the atmosphere somewhere? Is an is a angel just floating around? Well, when God booted him out, God judged his kingdom. And when God judged his kingdom, he put a judgment on it, and Lucifer's kingdom became judged. That's why he was called the prince of the power of the air. He has no home. He's been booted out of heaven. He can no longer go back to the earth because God judged his kingdom. And so Lucifer is in this atmosphere between heaven and earth. He's kind of just in this, you know, I don't have a home. That's why Jesus will say that the demons are always looking for a home. They need a body. They need a pig. They need a goat. They need some way to be able to get from the atmosphere where they've been put back to the earth. And so hence demonic spirits trying to inhabit people or animals. You see that all through the teachings of Jesus. Now, once that happened, it doesn't mean that God gave up on the earth. He still had a plan, and so now we come to the, the, I call it, the restored creation. It's not that it's a different earth. Remember, none of it's different in the sense that it's a, a whole new package. It's different in the sense of its essence. And so the restored creation is what many of you know and many of us know, and we would call it the creation Lucifer rebelled in the original creation, but creation was restored in seven literal days. I'll, I'll teach you that. And then on that rest, restored creation, God put Adam in charge. Adam did exactly what Lucifer did and rebelled. So it brought a curse. And then God's going to have to deal with that curse. So what, what I, what many would term creation, seven literal days, I put it in the category of that is the restored account of creation where God is restoring what he had already made that was judged by Lucifer. And then number three is Revelation 21. It's the redeemed creation. All creation is redeemed back to God. Jesus and the church are now in charge of the earth. And the earth is no longer under the bondage of the curse. My opinion is when you understand this, everything makes sense. You understand where demons come from, what's happened to Lucifer, why does Lucifer want the planet back, why does he care, how did he get here. Uh, you understand uh, evolution, you understand how the earth could be billions of years old, but it's really only seven days old. It begins to make sense. I'll teach you this in the book of uh, Genesis uh, one, one possibility is that the original creation was created and it was billions and billions of years old because we're not measuring time. We don't need to yet. We don't start measuring time until Adam comes along and sins. My belief is God doesn't even count time until Adam sins. And so when Lucifer rebelled, that, that rebellion and that darkness and that water and judgment could have lasted billions of years. We're not even told. It's just verse 1 to verse 2 to verse 3 happens as fast as you could read it, but it could have been billions of years. And then we have seven days of creation that took 24 hours a day to create. 
And from that uh, land, number two, the restored creation, we start counting to Jesus, 4,000 years now to us. So we're 6,000 years into number two. From the time of Adam to the time of Jesus to the time of us, the earth is about 6,000 years old in relation to human beings created in the image of God. The redeemed creation is coming later, and that was the new heaven and new earth. So let's look at the original one, and then we're going to look at the restored one, and then we're going to look at the final, and we'll end tonight with those three. Everybody, everybody with me? I don't want to lose you. <laughs> Here's the original creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we have a problem here because it seems like verse 3, he starts all over. Let there be light. Day 1. Separates the dark from the night. Day 1. Separates the waters. Day 2. But the way this reads, it, it reads as if God just created it all in some distant past that's unmeasurable. It could have been eons and millions of years ago. We don't know. We just know he started it. We don't even know he began counting time. He could have started it and it just sat empty or idle. We don't know. But what we do know in verse 2 is something that it gives and sheds some light on. Because verse 2 of Genesis says, The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the what? This is weird. Now as we get ready to go into it, I want you to know several things. Number one, God can't create anything formless. Impossible. God cannot create something empty. It's impossible. There is no darkness in God. He's light. And the weird thing about it is that I rarely hear people teach, where did the water of verse 2 come from if the water hasn't been created yet? And if you read the seven days of creation, there is no account of water being created. So it tells me this, that whatever happened in Genesis 1, there was water created. Because in the seven days of creation, there is no, and on the third day God created water. It just is already here. I believe it's here for a reason. Because the first time water is mentioned, it's mentioned in relationship to a formless, empty, dark world. And something must have went on. I'm going to tell you and then give you scripture to back it up. In the original creation of Genesis 1.1, this is the original creation, God created the heavens and the earth, and through the prophets that we'll see, Lucifer was put in charge of that earth. He ascended above the stars. He worshipped God. He was given a place in Eden. The Bible even says he was in Eden, the garden of God. He, he worshipped God from Eden. His job as a cherub was to let the land, the mountains, the trees, the rocks, the animals, and whatever people were here bring worship to God. Here's what we do know about those people. They weren't in the image of God even though they were people because Adam was the first in the image of God. Lucifer rebels and what God does is he judges it. So verse 2, God judges the earth with water. He puts water all around the earth to judge it. And when he does, it says it was formless, empty, and darkness. In other words, there's no people, there's nothing there. Everything is dead. It's totally dark. And so what happens with this 
is the Spirit of God is hovering over the water, waiting to do something. Now, what he's waiting to do is to restore what was judged because of Lucifer. The Spirit is waiting on the words of restoration. He's waiting to bring it out. And so the Spirit is hovering over the darkness of the deep waters. Here's something that you can... I'll I'll wait and get there because I'll give you the Scripture. Here's Isaiah 45. This is the prophet Isaiah. This is what the Lord said. He who created the heavens, He is God. And He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. And He did not create it what? He didn't create it to be empty. But yet if He created it but not to be empty, we would have to ask the question, then why in Genesis 1-2... Is it empty? If Isaiah says he didn't create it to be that way, listen to this, Jeremiah 4, another prophet. I looked at the earth. So this is weird now. All right. So the way you have to see this is it's a prophet speaking. He says, I looked at the earth and it was what? Okay, there, there is no other account in Scripture where the earth is ever empty. Ever. Even through the book of Revelation, there's always going to be people or animals left. Even though two-thirds of the earth is eradicated, once Adam is here, there's always people. There's never been a moment where the earth has been empty, ever. So he cannot be looking at a time after Adam. He cannot be looking at a time before day three when God put animals, or day four or five when God put animals here. He can't be looking at that. He has to be looking before there was a let there be an animal or let there be a human. He says, I looked and there was what? No what? Light. So he can't be in verse 3 of Genesis 1. Because verse 3 says, and God said, let there be light. So now he's looking back through the heavens back across time into a place to where he says there's no light, it's empty, it's totally dark. The only place in Scripture that tells us the earth was totally dark, the earth was totally empty, and the earth was absent of light is Genesis verse 1 and 2. So the prophet, in a weird way, had to have been given the eyes of the Spirit to look into this Genesis 1-2 moment and to expound on it for us. He says, I looked at the what? The mountains and the hills. So that tells me that even though there's no light, which would have to be Genesis 1-2, it's empty and formless Genesis 1-2, but I see mountains and hills and I see that there's no people and I see that all the birds are gone and I see that all the towns are in ruin. So what he's looking back on is into Genesis 1, 1. God created the heavens and the earth, the animals, the birds, the people, the towns to be inhabited, to to do what it was called to do. But Lucifer sins in his rebellion, so God judges it. And when he judges it, it's now empty. The people are gone. The towns are gone. Lucifer is judged. Darkness has come and water covered everything show you what Genesis 1-2 says. In the beginning God created and it was empty and I've got it flashing for you. And darkness covered the what? The water is already here before there's ever day one of creation. 
Day one of creation is let there be light. And God saw the light and said, that's day and night. And we'll call it day one. But the deep waters were already here. Why were the deep waters already here? Because the deep waters were used for judgment on Satan's kingdom. And God is going to use the same water to judge Adam's kingdom. Because he's going to judge Noah and that generation with water and the water is going to cover the entire earth. But that water is the water of the restored creation. The deep waters of 1-2 is the judgment of the original creation where Lucifer ruled. The waters of Noah are the waters of judgment for the restored creation where Adam ruled. This is why once Adam is created and water is used to judge, this is why God will say, I will never again judge the earth with water. This is why water baptism is so critically important. Because water baptism is, I judge myself as in death to sin, but I come back out of the water alive. Because nothing ever came back out of these waters. They stayed dead. To show you the truth of judgment, it's why the, sheep, the, the pigs ran into the water. Because they went back to their place of judgment. You would have think the pigs could have just ran off into the, you know, off into the mountains, but it didn't say. It says, and the pigs ran off the hillside into the water and they drowned. Because even the devils that inhabited the pigs knew that water was the judgment. And it's why there's going to be no more sea. It's why, I'll get that in a minute. So now let's look, and again, we'll dig this super deep when we get to the book of Genesis. But So I dealt with the Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2 with Lucifer because we're talking about why a new earth. So now what we have that is interesting is we pick up Genesis 1, and I don't know, not a lot of people talk about this and I always wonder why. I think it's just because religion just tells us to, what to believe we never think about it. So God said, now here we go. This is the, the, the restored creation. God said, let there be what? Light. Okay. And there was light, and God saw that it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness night. Notice this, that day and night is not in relationship to the sun and the moon. The sun and the moon don't even come until day four. So in day one, God calls it the first day, but there's not even a sun yet. There's not even a moon yet. And God is the one that gave the significance of day and darkness and night. And here's what gets strange. Day one, now remember, on day one, light is created. But we already see, if we back up into verse 2, we already see water's already here. Is everybody trucking with me? Water is already here. So when God puts the light in... Look at the second day because it's super interesting. The second day, God said, let there be a space between what? Wait a minute, he hadn't even created those yet. How can day two, he separate water of the heavens from the water of the earth if he hadn't even created water yet? He did create water back in Genesis 1-1 in the original creation. 
And he separates these waters and he puts a space between the waters of earth and he called that space sky. So what we do know, if we could get a visual picture, is is that God judged from heaven all the way to the earth and all the way around the earth, it was just water. There was not even any sky. It was just heaven and then water. And in the middle of that water stood this thing we call earth. And it's totally engulfed with water. And then up above the water is heaven. It's totally dark. I will use this as, as earth. Here is earth. And Lucifer ruled on it. And then he fell. And so what God did is God totally surrounded the whole thing with water. So that you couldn't even see it anymore. The whole thing is covered. I think I'll do this. This may help. So the moment Lucifer sinned, there came this judgment upon earth of water. So in verse 2, what we have, verse 1, he created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, darkness and water cover the whole earth and it's empty and it's void. And then what we teach in Christian education is... God starts creation, it happens in seven days. But what God does, watch, first day of creation. Let there be what? And as soon as he says, let there be light, what we have now is water. It's not dark anymore, but all it is is water. And so what he does in day two is he says, I'm going to separate the water from this and that. And I'm going to pull this water down here and I'm going to pull that water up there and I'm going to make a blank spot and I'm going to call that sky. And I'm so brilliant as God that in that sky I'm going to put a rainbow of my covenant. So when God separated judgment, waters below, from judgment, waters above, He's going to use that expanse to confirm to Noah a covenant Because the rainbow is going to be a reflection of light. The seven colors of light. Roy G. Bibb. God is going to use the rainbow. Why? What is the rainbow? The rainbow is a reflection of light and water. The rainbow is the reflection of God's character upon the water of his judgment. And it presents a covenant that I'll never do this to you again. If that makes sense. So on day two, he just separates the water. And here's what's interesting. On day three, God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together in one place. So what can the dry ground do? Appear. He didn't create ground. He created dry ground in verse one. On day three, he just lets dry ground appear. Why? He's restoring it all back. He's pushing the waters back. He's calling the dry ground back up. And so now we're at day three, but literally we could be at day three plus one billion years because we don't know how long Lucifer was here. We don't know how long Lucifer was on planet Earth with trees growing and mountains forming. And I mean, God could have even created the Earth five billion years old on day one because he's God. No different than we just assume when he created Adam, he created Adam at 30 years old. But Adam could have been created and lived billions of years because God never kept time until he sinned. He said dry ground needs to appear. And God called the dry ground land and the waters he called what? 
So now for the first time, God takes this water of judgment and he calls it something, he calls it a sea. It's the reason that the ocean, three quarters of our earth, is of salt. Why? What does salt do? Salt is a purification and a judgment. So the reason the ocean waters are salt isn't just because God thought, I love salt water. It's because God's letting you know that three quarters of the earth contains the judgment of God. That's why you can't take ocean water and pour it on a plant. It'll kill it. That's science 101. That's why if you're out at sea, you would think, well, let's just drink ocean water. How could you die of thirst in the middle of the ocean? Because you can't drink it. Because it's the water of judgment. The only way you can drink ocean water is to purify it and take out the impurities of salt so that your body will be able to process it. And God gives us a beautiful gospel story that three-quarters of the earth, though should be drinkable, is not drinkable and will kill everything that's alive if you try to use it, plus you, because sin has that kind of power. Genesis 3.17 after I, I, I spared you all the other days, I mean, we'll get into those later in, in the book of Genesis. But by the time God creates the seven days and puts Adam back in the garden, which is where Lucifer was, Lucifer shows up as a serpent. Uh, he inhabits an animal, which I believe he uh, tried to do even before. He, he inhabits the animal. He borrows the animal. He causes Adam and Eve to sin. And now look at what God says to the earth. Now this is the earth he created. It's now cursed. So when God says, I've got to bring about a new earth, we understand kind of what's going on because God now tells us the ground that I called up, the ground that I created in verse 1, the ground that I exposed in my restoration of creation, you did exactly what Lucifer did and now it's cursed. What does God do with the cursed earth and a cursed people? He does exactly what he did the first time. Genesis 6. For 40 days the flood waters grew deeper and covered the ground, lifting the boat high above the earth, and the waters rose higher and higher above the ground. The boat floated safely. Finally, the waters covered the what? Even the highest mountain. You see, even what we teach about Noah affirms Genesis 1 and 1-2. We teach that water covered the whole earth, even the highest mountain. And God's like, yeah, I did it to Lucifer's kingdom. I did it to Adam's kingdom. The same thing I did to his father, Lucifer, I will do to him. Why? You reap what you sow. I judged Lucifer's kingdom with water. Adam sold out and Lucifer became his father. So like father, like son, I will also judge Adam's kingdom with water. This is why when he gives Noah the sign of what he's going to do, I'm going to confirm my covenant and never again will I what? Use a flood to destroy the earth. I'm going to give you a sign of my covenant and it'll be a sign to the earth. In other words, I've, I've got to bring a judgment that's different than water. Why? Here's why. Because the judgment of water changed nothing. When he judged Lucifer's kingdom, Lucifer's still alive. 
when he judged Adam's kingdom, humans were still alive, Noah's family. So even though God judged it with water, the corruption of it was still here. So the reason he says, I'll never destroy it again, is not because God just is tired of using water. It's because God wants us to know that the next time I bring a remedy, it will be everlasting. And it won't just kill things, it will transform things. Hence the New Testament words like be born again, you're a new creation, old things have passed away. Because God knew if I can't change the heart, what good is it to flood the planet? So hence the new creation, we won't go there. The redeemed creation is what's coming. It's the new heaven and the new earth. Romans 8. This is so deep. And it's just a Bible verse. And it makes my head spin. Yet we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, right? Adam did it. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when God will join the children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For now we know that all creation is groaning as in pains of childbirth, even at the very moment Paul wrote this. Watch, this is important. Even though Jesus died for us on the cross and he gives us new life in him, and we go, praise God, we've been born again, I'm a new creation in Christ, old things passed away, the trees didn't get that. The animals, the lions, the lambs, the... The, the coyotes, the, the rocks, the bushes, the grass, all of the things God created to display His glory is in a bondage. And the weird thing, I know we can't hear them, so don't, don't go way out on left field with what I'm about to say again, think I'm weird. I kind of am. We have this belief that only humans are intelligent enough to, to conversate and talk. I've said this before, every animal can talk. They talk to each other. Dogs talk to dogs, squirrels to squirrels, birds to birds. We can't understand them because it's another language. But I believe trees speak. The trees will declare the glories of God. They're, they're groaning in childbirth. Those trees that are out in our field are like, get me out of this curse. I want to be everything God's creating me to be and I can't be it groaning. This is why Jesus said, if you don't praise me, the rock will praise me. It's not that he just thought, oh, that sounds cute. It's because the rock had a voice that could praise God under the domain of Lucifer. Everything could bring praise and glory to God. Every animal could bring glory to God. And when Adam sinned, it all got cursed and animals quit communicating. Things started dying. Everything starts dying off. And Paul says, all of creation, the grass that you're mowing speaks to God. The dirt talks to God. God said of himself, the blood of Abel speaks to me from the ground. Everything talks to the Lord because it's His creation. It holds His voice. 
if, if just so you kind of know why I think that way, everything the Bible says is held together by the power of God's word. When he said, let there be, and he spoke, and he said, let the grass team, and let the moment God put his vocal words into that tree, that tree contains the voice of God. But right now it's under a curse, and it's bemoaning a glorious freedom. That's the new earth. I believe in the new earth it's going to blow your mind because butterflies will be praising him, birds will be praising him, giraffes will be praising him. We'll be listening to the animals sing his praise. They'll be listening to us sing his praise. You say, well, how will we understand each other? Because we'll all be in a realm where we're in the realm of God and we all can understand equally as well. Let me understand, but right now I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face when God is with me, I will know even if I am known. Nothing will be hidden from me anymore. It will not be an obscure, dark thing. I will know all things. Because why? God made his home with me. That's a weird thought. That's why I said that is one of the most strange verses. We think God's just coming back for us. He's coming back for all of it. He's going to restore everything. He said, you you think I forgot I made a tree? I'm going to get everybody out of this curse. That's how awesome of a father he is. Revelation 21, 1. Saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven had disappeared and the sea was gone. It would make you scratch your head of why there's going to be no more ocean. Is this because God doesn't want us surfing? Is it because God doesn't want us laying on the beach with a brew in our hand in eternity with our toes kicked back and sunning on the nice shores of the beach? No, it's because the sea that you so enjoy and we so go down to Panama City and kick back and enjoy a few and fish a little bit and hang out with the family is because God in His infinite grace lets us enjoy judgment. But to Him, why would I leave it around in a new heaven? The sea that you so enjoy was nothing more than the disgust of my judgment over the very creation that Lucifer destroyed. And it shows you the power of sin because we go swim in it, we fish in it, we eat the animals in it, we sell on it, we enjoy all of it. And God's like, look look at how good I am because they're just enjoying the very judgment that I put on the earth. Right? (laughs) He said he knew it's why he liked the mountains better. (laughs) But the reason there's no more sea is because God doesn't need it as judgment. My opinion is I believe hell is under the ocean. I believe that's why it's, uh, hell is, is kept in a place. I believe that's also why, supposedly, according to NASA, we explore the entire universe, but we can't even get to the bottom of the ocean. The reason you can't get to the bottom of the ocean is not because we're so brilliant or, or couldn't create. You, you would think if we could go to Mars, you would think we'd get to the bottom of the ocean. It's only like 30,000 feet deep. We can't. It's impossible. We can't even explore the bottom of the ocean. Does that not make you just go, hmm? that NASA is spending billions and billions and billions to go see if a blooming alien lives on Mars, I'd rather you go, tell me, go down deep and tell me why we can't go there. Tell me what's on the bottom of the ocean. I don't care what's out there. I'm never going to go there, but I sure would like to know what's under my feet. And the thing that's under your feet is the kingdom of Lucifer and where the dead are. Because the Bible will tell us in the next chapter that the sea has to give up all the dead. The reason the ocean is full of water and covers... Three quarters of the earth is because it holds all the dead souls. The dead go into the sea and they're held in hell 
And the sea's going to have to give them up in the next chapter. So once the sea gives up the dead, I don't need it anymore because the sea is what holds the place of the dead. I don't need it anymore. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. We'll end here. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people and He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will, uh, in red, wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow, crying or pain. All things are gone forever. Did you ever wonder why there's going to be no more tears? We look at that as, oh, it's just happy. It's going to be a happy time. We won't even cry. But how many of you ever cried because you're happy? Your husband bought you a brand new car home and you cried. Oh my God. The reason God gave you tears is tears are the human's way of judging things. If you're in pain, you cry. It's the judgment. If you're happy, you cry. If you're elated, you cry. If you're sad, you cry. Because what God did is He put inside every human being the ability to produce water as a sign of judgment. And we even say, why are you crying? And then they proclaim the judgment, because I'm so happy. Why are you crying? Because I'm sad. Why are you crying? So-and-so said something about me. So God says in the new earth, you're not even going to have to cry. What do you mean? I won't cry because of joy? I won't cry because of sorrow and pain and death? No, true. You won't, I won't even be here, but there'll be no more need for tears because... Everything will be perfectly judged and we will know even if we are known. I won't need to shed a tear of happiness because the moment it happens, everyone will know I'm happy. That's my take on that. Here is the new earth. Why do we need a new one? Because God will remove all hint of the curse. The new earth will be here because there will be no more curse. The lion and the lamb will lay down together. The trees will clap their hands. Number two, it'll be new because there'll be no more sea. There's no need of it anymore. All the dead have been judged. And then number three, because creation will no longer be in bondage. The trees will clap, the rocks will sing, and the animals will talk. That's when he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's what he sees. He sees a heaven that is absent of God's judgment and himself and the angels and the armies because God is on earth. And the reason it's a new earth is because God has removed all hints of the earth and he lives here. And because there's no more sea, because all the dead have been judged so he can come here in his holiness. And because all creation is no longer in bondage, daddy's home. Come on, somebody. And uh, I don't know what that day's going to be like, but it will be a glorious day. Well, that ends, and we will do part two next week. I hope that blessed you. I hope it kind of opened your mind to think about some things. Let me pray. Father, thank you for a good night. Thank you for the word. I pray that our hearts are challenged. I pray the word will find good ground. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. I bless you. Have a great night. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.